Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me today. I'm really excited because we're going to speak with Stella Ward, and we have a really amazing conversation about technology and the intersection with health. Here's an excerpt from the interview with Stella. Um, I'm already understanding that I don't have to send everything back to the data warehouse to do the big data analytics. There'll be analytics at the edge. So in a, in a device or in an environment, there'll be real-time analytics happening. Mm. Um, we'll probably have both the augmented reality and the physical reality connection happening in terms of people might be looking at electronic health record at the same time as they're doing a right um, have some glasses or something so the google glass yeah yeah next iteration by three yes um, (laughs) where everything is interoperability and you can be doing that so those are the other things in terms of you know who knows what's around the corner in terms of, um, you know, and the nanotechnology, the wearables, how they're going to support, um, again, the precision-driven medicine, but also preventing. You know, we always talk about how it's going to improve the therapies, but we mm. must start thinking about how the technology is going to prevent us becoming unwell mm. and the wearables and the nanotechnology will be significant mm. um, in terms of remembering that, Health is about well-being um, and good health, not just health care. This episode is one in a series that we're doing on technology in the lead-up to Tech Week, which is coming up later this month in May. In next week's episode, we'll be speaking with David Carter, who's the chair of Canterbury Tech. And we talk a lot about new technologies and what businesses are doing here in Canterbury. To make sure you don't miss out on that and other upcoming episodes, hit subscribe. And don't forget that this is the 40th episode So you might want to check out the back catalog as well. Now let's get into the interview with Stella. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Stella Ward, who's the Chief Digital Officer for the Canterbury and West Coast District Health Boards. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Um, On this podcast, what we do is talk about um, the word purpose and why people do what they do um, and also what they're doing now. And I find it's quite helpful in order to work out why a person's doing what they do to explore their past. So what we're going to do on this interview, um, because it's kind of a tech focus, um, we're having this interview at the start of May, and it will be released sometime in May around Tech Week. Um, so I'm really curious about what's happening um, here in, in health and tech. Um, but before we get into that, if we could rewind, we'll go right back to the beginning and just tell us a bit about where you're from. So I'm a mainlander, is how I like to describe myself. I was born in Christchurch, but I grew up uh, in various parts of rural South Island, Otago, Southland, Canterbury. Um, I was a boarding school girl uh, and then a university graduate from the University of Canterbury um, and also the University of Otago. Mm. Um, I am a speech-language therapist by profession, uh, and I started in healthcare... Uh, many moons ago uh, and as a result of uh, the diversity of a speech language therapy career have also worked in education um, and And then traveled yeah and that speech and language therapy like is that something that you knew you wanted to do when you were growing up or like what was the catalyst that took you in that direction my mum found for me when I graduated from 
uh, speech language therapy, uh, a list I wrote when I was 10 about what I wanted to do when I grow up and we had to have I think five on the list and number two was speech therapy and mm. I think number one was vet um, <laughs> which is not surprising for a country girl. Uh, I think the fact that my mother's best friend was a speech therapist meant that I actually knew what the position was right. um, and that I'd been you know, excited by speech and drama. But the actual real decision happened uh, when I thought I wanted to be an occupational therapist uh, and went uh, on a placement to work experience and to have a look at that um, at Burwood mm. and uh, met the speech language therapist who had all this great gear, um, tech gear. I see. <laughs> um, and, uh, and was doing some fantastic work with people with brain injuries and recovering mm. from neurological disorders. And I liked the way she described the profession being a combination of art and science. Right. Um, and I was pretty good in both. So um thought, yeah, that's what I want to go do. Yeah. So was that like a moment that you remember uh, uh, that, yes, this is it, I'm changing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It was. And, um, and to the point where I actually waited um, until the degree, because um, degree wasn't available in my first year at university mm. and so I didn't start anything I just went and did sort of a BA year and some linguistics um, so that I would make sure that I could get into the degree program. Right wow mm. and that person who you'd met and were inspired by are you still in touch with them? Yes they actually are still um, involved in speech language therapy oh. so yeah it's pretty cool. That's really great yeah I often think those moments in life you know forks in the road and what is it that causes you to go one way or other, another? It's always fascinating to hear. It is. It's like the teachers that inspire you. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 So um, you studied that. And then um, what happened next? You mentioned overseas. Yeah. So um, I started here in Christchurch um, at Princess Margaret Hospital. And then I worked um, at Templeton as part of the deinstitutionalization process. Uh, and then I went travelling. I started in Australia and worked in education and community services. Um, had the fantastic opportunity to be part of a flying therapy team hmm. and travelled all around New South Wales, rural and remote, uh, and got to work with some amazing Indigenous communities. Hmm. Uh, so what I, did that involve, actually? Like, that was yeah. just getting on a plane and literally flying somewhere? Or? Yeah, lots of planes and lots of cars. Okay. So you'd kind of leave Sydney, which is where the office was, on a big plane and you'd get to a town and you'd get on a smaller plane and it'd be a smaller plane. Um, and then, you know, somewhere like Broken Hill, there's, I think, single, about nine seats on the plane. Right. And then you get in the car and you drive for about an hour yeah. to see a family. It's a vast country. <laughs> yeah, and then said, so then from Australia I went to the UK um, in Ireland and worked there mm -hmm. and then did what all New Zealanders do, you know, see the world. Uh, and then uh, then came back to New Zealand and worked in special education uh, and then uh, and then private practice in Auckland. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, stepped into a leadership role inside the District Health Board at Counties Manukau uh, as the professional leader of speech language therapy and then subsequently became their first director of allied health. So that was the step beyond one discipline to leading many. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so I've been doing that for 10 years. I've established the role in three district health boards, uh, counties, Canterbury and the West Coast. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, 
yeah, that's fantastic because it's uh, allied health, technical and scientific disciplines. So they're all the others that are an important part of delivering healthcare that aren't the doctors and the nurses. Ah. Uh, and so I partner with the chief medical officer and the executive director of nursing and to ensure that what our people are doing, they're competent to do uh, and supported to uh, to do and it's safe and best practice um, and that we're encouraging the professional development and clinical development. Mm-hmm. So um, if, we rewind, if you rewind 10 years ago, did that not exist? Was that? No, so there was, um, when I started as the third Director of Allied Health appointed for district health boards um, and have been part of a leadership team nationally uh, growing that role and now there are mm, 18 out of the 20 district health boards that have the role either at the second tier, so reporting to a general manager, or at the first tier, which is um, on the executive leadership team. And that's important for the disciplines and also for patient care. Mm. And what have, what have you seen as some of the things that have practical things that have resulted from having that in place? Um, I think we have seen more interprofessional uh, care delivery and uh, certainly here in Canterbury and on the East Coast more integration of care and in particular while teamwork existed um, uh, the, the way to do things differently or to deliver care in a different way such as in an integrated health system like the Canterbury health system the opportunity to think about uh, a response to uh, rehabilitation needs um, and reducing the length of stay in hospital for people who are older. We established a, a, an interprofessional team and I think having the allied health leadership role ensured that allied health disciplines were considered a fundamental part of that um, care team uh, and that we could look at how different agencies could collaborate to provide that kind of care. So, mm. um, so that's one change. I think the other change is probably in the research space. Um, there is more, not a lot, but more research happening that is about the allied health, technical and scientific disciplines. Um, And the other would be the professional development, the leadership development, um, and the opportunity for a single discipline to lead others. Um, It's a funny thing, healthcare. Um, And so the importance of leading others and leading teams um, and being a part of a team, uh, uh, while it seems like it's a really easy thing to say, actually a very challenging thing to do when you spend all your first foundation years so focused on your own discipline Mm. to then step beyond it and be a bit more uh, helicopter Mm. is important. Yeah, oh, that's great. And how do you foster the, I guess, the the interaction between doctors and nurses and other people who are involved in the healthcare? Um, by continually talking about the importance of all the roles um, in the care team. And what's really fascinating when you start to do that, then people go, oh, yeah, and actually the orderlies are really important and the mm. healthcare assistants are really important and the cleaners are really important. And mm. so it means that whole idea of everybody working together can ensure that the patient and their family experience a good outcome Mm. um, of the process of care. Um, And so, yeah, I think ways to do it is um, ensuring that there are plenty of opportunities for shared learning. Um, We do it in uh, 
design, having people in the design phase. Mm. Um, and one of the thing I, things I'm very proud of um, for us as a, as, a, as a health system is the way we've engaged all of our clinicians and our community in the design of the new facilities. So mm. um, Burwood looks and feels fantastic as a new hospital. Much of that is because of the opportunity for the users who were going to be in the environment having a say in how the facility was designed. Mm. 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 Oh, that's great. What do you think, uh, you know, when doctors are studying and they study for years and years and years, lots of technical things, um, what are some of the things that they could also study at the early stage of their career, even at university, that might help that sort of fostering of teamwork and things once they actually graduate and are practicing medicine? Great question, and actually we're doing stuff about that. So I'm a member of the Health Precinct Advisory Council. I'm the DHB member, and that's a collaboration with the tertiary partners and and iwi Mm. um, to look at fostering the research, um, innovation, uh, and opportunities. But the key thing here is that we have begun to look at how to uh, collaborate in interprofessional undergraduate training mm-hmm. and also um, in design. So two big themes that come out of that is recently we had a, the 48-hour challenge based on the University of Canterbury's Centre for Entrepreneurship mm-hmm. program that they run. Um, so we did it for healthcare. And so we had students from any of the organisations involved so some of them were medical students and some of them were data scientists and mm. some of them were um, uh, allied health professionals or nursing. And that was a fantastic way mm. to get doctors if, in terms of the question, but doctors and other health professionals, but also other non-health professionals mm. to contribute to actually what most of the public have an interest in is, you know, how does our health system work and mm-hmm. how could it be better? Yeah, um, it, it affects everybody, doesn't it? It does. So that <laughs> was no one who's immune. Yeah, yeah. So that was a fantastic opportunity. The other um, one that I would these other two subjects I would say in terms of answering your question around medicine and what we're doing um, is uh, human factors and design thinking um, and human factors because it comes up in the t- in the in the way teams work. Mm. So by understanding that human beings are fallible, and sometimes that's really hard for the type A personalities that may end up in medicine, uh, thinking that they have to have all the answers and be very responsible for the outcomes, having a science, which it is, Mm. human factors, um, uh, underpinning some of their thinking around the fallibility of human beings. It means that we design things from a systems perspective, we design teamwork and collaboration, and that ultimately means that there's better outcomes for patients. So mm. that's another one. And mm. then, of course, given my title, um, the other is technology. Mm. Um, sounds ridiculous, but I think the fact that still to graduate from uh, for NCEA and for the universities, you still have to write the paper and a pen and paper. So these are digital natives who um, who need to understand how technology contributes to um, not only their learning and their outcomes in their study, but also the technology is going to have an impact on how they deliver healthcare. Um, and the technology curve is so steep now under the mm. Moore's Law principle 
that having an understanding of Moore's law and the technology and the way that they are going to need to use it as an adjunct to everything they do, Mm. not only in their personal life but in their professional life, I think is an important um, component of everybody's learning, but in particular in the health sciences. Mm. It makes sense. Yeah, uh, the reason for my question is actually because I work as a lawyer and when I think back to when I was a law student, the subjects that I studied, many of them were very technical in the sense of this case said this or, you know, but when I think about what I do now, it's all about people. It's Mm -hmm. all about relationship. It's all about asking the open questions and the ability to interact. Mm -hmm. And none of that was really, from my memory, there wasn't a class about that type of thing or how to delegate, you know, like Mm -hmm. things that are kind of basic soft skills Mm -hmm. um, that I think probably could be better explained, you know, (laughs) in those early years. Yeah, I think so. I think some of that for the clinical, um, and I'm sure as a law student, um, they, they kind of threw that into your either your clinical placement or your professional placement space right. and, and in the hope that the profession would help sort of shape out, yeah. that for you. Yeah. But I agree, the, um, the opportunity to be exposed to um, uh, how to collaborate and um, the ethics of what we're doing, mm. um, asking those hard questions, the, the philosophy, um, the, the greater world stuff. I think um, while uh, it's important for there to be absolute rigour around the, the profession and, and the discipline, um, I th- think understanding that discipline in the context of the world mm. is an important skill set for all. Yeah, mm. no, I agree completely. Yeah, one of the themes that's come out on the podcast actually that's been surprising to me has been this idea of cross-fertilisation and cross-discipline um, working together mm. because it's it's come out in many of the interviews where people have said the value of getting an environmental social scientist with a you know climate change uh, so that they do climate change and then this person over here is an accountant you know and the fact that they can challenge each other and and a bit like what you're saying with the 48-hour challenge mm. maybe get new perspectives that they wouldn't have had otherwise yeah and I personally think that that's the greatest uh, outcome of the earthquake for the city. Mm. While we haven't solved or resolved all the issues, we learned that a community working together could achieve amazing things. Mm. We then innovated and designed some amazing responses Mm. um, and some of the outcomes of the way the community groups, the art groups, the commons, the collaborative natures, the social enterprises. Mm. Um, So even though I sit in a big, large employer that's quite bureaucratic and very um, crown-orientated, understanding for us has been also about how we work with our community. So Mm. we've had collaboration and alliancing and engaging our NGOs and engaging our community and the principle of co-design. So, yeah, I think the the strength of our city uh, is that we're really trying to do that, and mm. I'm not surprised it's a theme if some of the people you've been speaking to are yeah. Christchurch leaders and yeah. thinkers, um, because I, I personally think that's going to be the thing that when we look back in 15 years' time, mm. if we achieve the vision we wish to achieve for the city, it will be a place where people go, oh my goodness, this is such a great place to work mm. because people know how to have cross-functional teams or mm-hmm. how to collaborate or how to 
stand back and look at a problem and go, how might we solve this differently? So yeah, yeah. pretty exciting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've been back relatively recently. We moved back a few years ago. But one of the reasons is we saw that there was this chance to rebuild the city and to be part of that. And I think it's an exciting time to be here because there is all this collaboration and, you know, things aren't the same as they were. Mm. And what's it, what does the future hold? And Yeah, it's really good. It is good. I mean, yeah. it's also challenging, but it, I, I'm an optimist and I, and I believe that um, by listening to the community and co- collaborating, we will, um, you know, we'll end up with amazing outcomes. Yeah, yeah. So, Stella, I want to go a different direction now mm-hmm. and think about your current role and some of the initiatives that are in place. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about, I guess, the organization and what you're doing within that from a tech or IT sort of perspective? Sure. Um, so I'm newly appointed into the chief uh, digital officer role, but I have had the innovation and information uh, technology portfolio for a while. Mm. Um, so the Canterbury District Health Board is um, responsible for the planning, funding and service delivery of health and disability services for the region, um, as is the West Coast. Um, we have a really strong transalpine relationship between Canterbury and the West Coast. And in terms of technology, we are two health systems that are leading uh, the way we use technology in providing healthcare. Um, and the two kind of strong places that we're doing that is in the facilities and new buildings being designed to be what I describe as digitally ready. Um, because actually hospitals are very paper um, heavy right? Uh, and uh, we've designed the new buildings to be paper light as in there isn't a place for the paper to go if we haven't got rid of it. So there's a strong focus on working through how to digitise or respond to that. So that's um, from the Wi-Fi to the uh, electronic health record or um, all the way through to the medical devices that arrive because every new medical device that arrives has got software um, right through to how do we capture and analyze the data so we pride ourselves on being a data-driven health system that's our strategy our vision um, and we talk about an integrated health system enabled by integrated information systems that's a really easy thing to say and an extremely <laughs> challenging thing to Thing to do, but we have achieved some important milestones. So we do have a shared electronic health record across the South Island called Health One. Mm-hmm. That is a huge achievement. It allows uh, healthcare workers in either the primary care and community or the hospital anywhere uh, across the South Island to be able to share information about a patient. Mm. that they are caring for or to be able to view that information and that's important because Canterbury is the tertiary um, service for the whole of the South Island and so it's likely that people have to travel from anywhere to here and if we can see their last x-ray, lab results, medications when they come then we are less likely to re-x-ray them retest them right um, so it's efficient as well as it's a good outcome for patients so that's really exciting um, and then we've got some and on a practical level if I have an accident and I'm in Dunedin then the records can be brought up there easily yeah 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 
That's so a good thing. That is a good thing. <laughs> um, we've got so much to do in that space, sure. um, um, but it is a, a, a fundamental milestone and, and one unique in New Zealand. Mm. Um, none of the other um, parts of the country have been able to do it, and many parts of the world haven't been able to do it. Mm. Um, in the way that we have. Mm. I mean, they've got electronic medical records, but they aren't easily able to be shared with their GP colleagues or the district nursing providers or mm. the um, home care mm. services that actually do need to know some mm. of that information, So, yeah. or the ambulances. So mm. the fact that we've joined so many of the um, providers together on that platform is, is a pretty good outcome. Right. And on a practical level, if I walked into a ward, say, 15 years ago versus walking into one that's been newly constructed, what are some of the things that I would notice that were different? Sure. Um, there'd be probably three things that you would notice. One is the screen in your room. Okay. Um, so there is a screen, uh, and yes, some of it's about entertaining you, um, but some of it will be also about sharing information with you. Um, like your health record or uh. health information um, that might be pertinent to your stay. And in time, we want to be able to expand that, that functionality. The second is um, the clinical teams have devices, and um, that could be computers on wheels, it could be iPads, it could be smartphones, but they are using that to mm. um, track what they do, share tasks with each other. Yeah. So you definitely notice that. Um, and probably the third is that we are also digitising um, the information about you that you want people to know, which is your name, your next of kin, what you're here for. Sure. Which we usually put on a piece of paper. Mm. Now it's going to be digital. Mm. So those are some of the things. Um, and in time, as part of being digitally ready, you'll be able to order your meals mm. through a device. Um, uh, perhaps learn more about your condition, maybe plan what you want to be happening as you, you discharge. Mm. So yeah. Which all helps with the the experience of the patient, doesn't it? You know, rather than being kind of stuck off and not really sure what's going on and you're wanting to actually empower them with knowledge, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. Well the patient is actually a part of the team. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well that's good. Um, how about some of the other things that you've been involved with? Like I was curious about something to do with Bluetooth and disabilities. Is, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So um, this is a collaboration that's happening with the um, mobility service that provide the um, disability sticker to your car. You have to apply for that. Um, and I think Christchurch City Council and a, and, a, and a startup. And the idea here is that um, and the DHB is is going to join the scheme in terms of the disability car parks that are available at the hospital will have the ability for that to be tracked. And so if people have the disability card that's Bluetooth enabled, they'll be able to see um, where a park is mm -hmm. available. Um, so find a park is a good start. And then the other is that um, if there is someone who doesn't have that parking in the disability park, there will be a notification um, provided. Um, and I'm not sure yet how big brother we're going to be, but it might be a, just a note to say, hey, you don't have a disability sticker. I see. And yeah. you're using a park that people really need yep. to the point where it's possible we could find people if they shouldn't be in a disability mm -hmm. park. 
So starting with a carrot, not a stick, is yep. um, uh, most important about providing the visibility to the people who have the disabilities of where they can park. Yeah, giving them access yep. more easily. Yep. I have to say, I wish I had something like that because I came down to interview you and I was driving around looking for a car park going yep. in circles. Yeah. Could not find one. Yeah, so there are. there's also another company in Christchurch that's got... Um, uh, it's developed an app about where all the roadworks are and how that's impacting right. on roading and car parking. So, yeah, I think there's real opportunity in the app space mm. to support people coming to hospital yeah. um, or, 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 or accessing our city in general. Yeah. And how do you find the people um, within the organisation, how receptive are people to sort of new ways of doing things and this sort of technology? Because some of this, if you've been in, involved for 20 or 30 years or something, some of it would be quite quite challenging I imagine yeah um, it is challenging and um, so change is constant in healthcare and technology is a constant part of the change so you know new technologies is not necessarily um, a challenge but tends to be new technologies in in my personal interest Mm -hmm. so surgeons have responded to robotic surgery and those sorts of things Um, uh, but now it's ubiquitous impact of the technology and the IT in particular so it's much more of a change management process Um, so if the technology gets in the way or makes the job harder to do then the likelihood of it succeeding is low Mm. so we try to start with design and making it easy to do use the technology or do the right thing which is to use the technology but the reality is some of our applications and some of our technologies are not that user-based designed. So there's a bit of a, um, a pendulum. So some of our systems have gone really, really well, um, and we have a process where we engage change champions, so we get super users, mm-hmm. um, and we have people at the elbow. And I guess there is always the standard um, early adopters later adopters, except for laggards, um, in any uh, population group. But our community and clinicians are getting more confident. Mm. Um, So when we first started with our platforms, um, it was a big deal when a new, because what we do now is we just release software regularly and there's an update and there's new functionality and there might be a new device that arrives with it. Um, When we first did that, it was really, really challenging. Now people are used to particular software um, updates a bit like lots of people with their smartphones. There's an update that happens overnight, and you don't even notice it. And then anyone who drives an electric vehicle or a, um, th- the same thing, software's pushed. We don't we don't notice it. Where it's an absolute change to practice, then then we find that's more challenging. So we've been doing some really great innovations by working with clinicians and designing innovations in technology that are about what improving what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got a couple of those that we're showcasing as part of Tech Week. Mm. Um, well, why don't you talk about that? What What's happening in Tech Week? Because we'll probably air this before the event. So. Sure. So um, Health has got two days of, of Tech Week. Tech Week's going to be so exciting because um, there's so much going on. Um, but for Health, we've got uh, a day which is about emerging tech mm-hmm. where there's a number of speakers that are talking um, about applications to interoperability, to big data, to artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... There are um, two events that are very much about the Canterbury Health System. We've got a techie bricky where we're showcasing some of our startups and innovation partners. 
Uh, so we're going to talk about um, using big data to create insights to do something different. We're going to talk about virtual reality and how mm. that's been used for education and, and, and patient care. Um, we're going to talk about some of the, the new apps. Um, one of the one is about secure communication platform um, so people in the healthcare team can send images and talk about a patient in terms of um, question and answers, which is quite common between mm. junior and senior doctors, for example, or junior doctor to junior doctor. Mm. Um, so making that a safe and secure place mm. to share patient information mm-hmm. um, um, and encouraging people that they have to use the secure one because people actually do human beings, if you give them technology, they'll use it for all sorts of things. So there's lots of unsecured communication mm. um, that can happen, so we're encouraging it to happen on the secure platform. The other is the multidisciplinary um, task manager and mobile app, which we have, which is between the ability for people to allocate tasks across the team to improve the decision-making flow. So in a paper-based environment, a ward round happens, it mm. generates a bunch of work and then you have to chase down all of the people in the t- team to make mm. sure that all the work's being done before the patient can go home. So if you create an electronic app, digital environment, workflow, mm. then people are making the decisions faster, getting the tasks done, reporting that the tasks have been done in a mm. simple way and we've been able to reduce length of stay, um, take the weight out and, um, and really ensure that all of the tasks are completed in order for the person to go home safely. So mm. those are two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another of our innovations that I'm really proud of um, is one of our commercialisation ones is, um, a, is, I talked about human factors. and um, So clinical simulations are a really important part of our ongoing professional development, particularly mm-hmm. the high-tech. We do it in low-tech, but particularly high-tech. So we've got an anaesthetist and a biomedical engineer who've collaborated to be able to use a simulation device mm-hmm. in situ, so in our real-world environment, using our machines to create a simulation that teams can learn from. So in a theatre, using the anaesthetic machine and using the this, that, and next thing, create a simulation for people to be able to use. <laughs> now, that happens in other environments, but you tend to have to buy the... $300,000 full sim suite that has the mannequin, mm. etc. So this is a part of the market that... Mm. Um, and you mentioned commercialization, so that's actually like a something that you're hoping that yeah. could develop as yeah. a startup and be able to sell it to other... Yeah, so we've actually sold three oh, already. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's so good. So we're very excited. <laughs> so we'll hear more about that at, uh, at Tiki Bricky. Um, so there's 10 of our innovation, and now at the, it's really a... Quick, yep. what are they doing? Yep. And then, high level overview. Yeah, yeah. And these innovations are some of them coming from people like you mentioned who are day to day working and thinking, how can we do this better and bringing it to you or others? And yeah. is that sort of the the genesis of it? <laughs> yeah. So um, I have a business unit within my portfolio called Via Innovations, okay. and um, and that's been established to support innovation from clinicians mm-hmm. uh, um, and commercialise it. It's also been uh, a mechanism for local industry to be able to connect with us and validate ideas. Mm. So we've worked with Aaron's um, who are the, have got a wound imaging mm. um, and they're 
world famous. They do really well with it. They've won high tech awards. Um, but, you know, we work with them from a local mm-hmm. validation environment to some of the more teeny tiny startups. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also work with the big guys. So we have strategic partnerships with Orion Healthcare, with GE Healthcare, with Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, and so one of the ones that we'll talk about at Tiki Breaky is our collaboration with GE Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, who see Christchurch and the universities and health connection in the health precinct as a fantastic example mm. of when you collaborate together, what you can achieve, and our openness to working with industry. Mm. I really liked how they described us as friendly. <laughs> That's um, good. Yeah. Yeah. And for some engineers out of the US who, to, to be okay with sharing some very beta yeah ideas in a safe way that our clinicians um, work with and go, it needs to be improved like this and we need to see this kind of outcome. Yeah. It's really exciting yeah. to be able to have that big scale um, collaboration as well as the small scale yeah. startups. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, the thing that I've loved about our interview is that we've touched on so many different areas that you're involved in in terms of pushing the boundaries of what we can do and this venture and this venture. And, and But I think many people listening wouldn't be aware maybe so it's a great chance to, you know, get this get the word out. There's a lot of good stuff happening here in Christchurch, isn't there? There is, there is, um, and there's a, and there's lots of really good stuff happening in the Canterbury Health System, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and there's lots of really good stuff that also we can share. We know how to scale, so I think that's the other thing is. Um, Health One, which I talked about in terms of the uh, um, yeah. record across the South Island, you know, started here mm-hmm. with our Ryan Healthcare and Pegasus and the Canterbury DHB collaborating, you know, and it's rolled out across the South Island. So yeah. you know, we know how to scale these things That's and great. share them. And scale is often the hardest thing to do in an innovation system. So I'm really proud of what we've been able to do. And it's great to be able to share some of the things and um, we'll also share our failures at times too yeah well they're important too right yeah, well, <laughs> you gotta you gotta, you gotta to learn. learn yeah yeah you gotta learn um i have w- just a final question just thinking you know in 10 years or even in 20 years where's the area that you think healthcare is going to be changing the most from technology like putting on your crystal crystal ball time is there an area because for me the area that I think that we're still unpacking or unlocking what it might mean is the big data mm. and sort of finding out so many bits of information about individuals that will then give us a better picture mm. about what the that in the past we wouldn't have had any knowledge of. And then you put it all together and you realize, actually, you might have this thing or this might be the issue. But from your perspective, because you're seeing, it sounds like a lot of different technologies, you know, is there sort of an area that you think will have a big impact? Yeah, I think um, I, I probably would say there's maybe four I can see. Um, I think you're right around the use of um, uh, big data and analytics and what that will lead to is what personalised medicine. Mm-hmm. So um, because we will have so much data about an individual, we can then design the personal healthcare solution for that individual. Mm. Um, so that's exciting and also come with some challenges around ethics and do you want to know that you've got the gene for dementia and mm. what will that mean and how might you change your behaviour or what will you do with your life and mm. so we all need to be careful how we give information mm. um, and share information 
not to be paternalistic in any way, but just to be real. Human beings um, are quite linear in their thinking, um, and this is big stuff to mm. try to get your head around. So mm. I think personalised medicine will be both an opportunity and a challenge, um, and the big data will drive that. Mm. Um, the other is uh, artificial intelligence mm. um, and the use of machine learning, in particular for routine tasks. Um, so I think the human being, the human factor will still exist in healthcare mm-hmm. um, because it is as much about human to human contact as it is. But the use of the machine learning um, will mean that the routine uh, activity will get taken out. So mm-hmm. routine screening, r- routine diagnostics, um, so that they'll learn yeah. um, that. Again, we need to be thinking about how we do that well um, because much of the data that exists is already biased. So we'll need to factor in uh, ensuring that the machines don't reinforce bias and we create a greater gap in terms of equity of health outcomes and access. Mm. Um, The other is uh, non-communicable diseases and the care will be delivered at home. So there'll be robots in your home and smart houses and smart homes and smart TVs um, that you won't necessarily go to the doctor. You might have an, an avatar or, um, or, a, um, or a healthcare um, interaction that is completely non-person specific, mm-hmm. but it manages your chronic disease process with you. Um, have you taken your meds? Um, walking into the bathroom and, and, and all your measurements are taken and it uploads and provides a prompt and says you need to adjust your medication by this because you're right. this is going on. Um, or you need to now go um, alert or an alert could already happen to your healthcare provider that needs to come to you. So I think that's major and you know there's already mm. early technology in the avatar space um, uh, that it is absolutely providing the empathy and the um, connection. So the robots and the avatars and the, and the smart homes and smart city infrastructure that is going to be here in 10 years will mm-hmm. definitely disrupt healthcare delivery mm-hmm. um, and we need to be ready for it. Um, and But our community, again, we have to ensure that our community continues to have access to the right care. Mm. Um, and that's not um, designed in from for only those that can afford it. Mm. Um, and the last is the hospitals. So the hospitals will absolutely just be high-tech. So they'll be procedural, technical, high-tech environments. And I have no idea what the new technology is, but I know that there's new imaging technology on Mm. the horizon. There's new diagnostic, other diagnostic technologies on the the horizon. Um, I'm already understanding that I don't have to send everything back to the data warehouse to do the big data analytics. There'll be analytics at the edge. So in a, in a device or in an environment, there'll be real-time analytics happening. Mm. Um, we'll probably have both the augmented reality and the physical reality connection happening in terms of people might be looking at, at electronic health record at the same time as they're doing a Right, um, have procedure. some glasses or something. So the Google Glass. Yeah, yeah next iteration by three yes um, <laughs> where everything is interoperability and you can be doing that so those are the other things in terms of you know who knows what's around the corner in terms of um, you know and the nanotechnology the wearables how they're going to support um, again the precision driven medicine but also preventing you know we always talk about 
how it's going to improve the therapies, but we mm. must start thinking about how the technology is going to prevent us becoming unwell mm. and the wearables and the nanotechnology will be significant mm. um, in terms of remembering that health is about well-being um, and good health and not just health care um, therapies and, and surgical uh, mm. investigations. Yeah, it's not just a band-aid here. It's actually what's the underlying source or the, the real problem here? How do we fix it? Yeah. And so uh, from a population health perspective, while all this technology will be fantastic, um, it comes back to where we started, is it'll be about our community and how mm. our community works together. That is healthy, good access to water, clean air, mm. um, great community supports, um, neighbours that care, those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah, pretty basic things, right? Yeah. <laughs> Got to get those right as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's been fascinating to talk with you, Stella. I really appreciate your time and just hearing about the wide variety of initiatives that you're involved in. Um, but I'm also fascinated just to think back in your own story as well, you know, starting out with the speech and language therapy and then sort of how that's taken you into different roads. And so thank you for sharing that journey. And um, yeah, thanks for your time and hopefully see you around at the Tech Week. You're very welcome. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stella. I certainly appreciated her perspective on the future of health and technology, and I found it really fascinating. Now, next week's episode, we're going to be speaking with David Carter, who's the chair of Canterbury Tech. Here's an excerpt from the interview with David. Our remit really is to connect, grow, and inspire Canterbury companies. Uh, it used to be software companies, but now it's tech companies as mm. that line between software and technology has become blurred over time. So right. you know, we just opened up the membership more. Um, so currently we have about you know a couple of hundred um, corporate members and a couple of hundred individual members. And we cater for those members by having a uh, monthly event which is typically at um, a company um, in Christchurch. And we put on two speakers, a business and a technical speaker, and we have drinks and networking, etc. cetera. Mm. On top of that, we have this annual event, which mm. is the largest technology event in the South Island. Um, and that's run every year. We get speakers from all over um, the world. Mm. Um, and the idea is, is once again to, to inspire mm. and to try help educate and give people an opportunity to, to network as well. Well, I do hope you can join me for that and other upcoming episodes. And if you enjoyed the chat with Stella today, then why not check out the back catalog because this was the 40th episode and you might find that there's some other stories that you'd be interested in as well. Until next time. Mm-hmm.